Welcome to the Punk Rock Preschool Podcast with your host, Mr. G. For those about to learn, we salute you. Hello, party people. Thank you for joining us today on the Punk Rock Preschool Podcast, where we are changing the world one classroom at a time. That classroom is your classroom. I'm your host, Jared Geller, Mr. G, and I am so happy to be back. It is a very special day because we are back. And in honor of that, we have a very special guest. Today's guest is Matt Miller, author of Ditch That Textbook, also Ditch That Homework. And if y'all know me by now, you know that that really sounds pretty awesome to me, ditching that textbook, because we need to put the old way of doing things behind us so we can embrace ourselves, our own personalities, our own passions, bring those into the classroom. And why do we do that? To help our students find their passions, to help them embrace their personalities, and to incorporate all of that into learning. And that is exactly what Matt has done with Ditch That Textbook. Matt is a Spanish teacher, and Matt has taken his textbook and basically supplemented it and recreated it and done so many different things where his entire curriculum now is based on technology and based on things that the students love and that he loves and where everybody enjoys coming to class every day and everybody learns a ton. And there are so many different ways that Matt has brought this technology into his classroom to ditch the textbook and to help his students find their interests, find their passions, create projects, create reports, create all these different things around their own interests and use technology in order to do that. And even if you're not a super tech savvy teacher or super tech savvy person, Matt gives amazing strategies on how to bring this technology into your classroom so you too can ditch that textbook. Now, I know this sounds super exciting. I was super excited talking to Matt. He is an awesome guy. And so let's just jump right into this so y'all can learn everything that I learned interviewing Matt and we can get right back into the Punk Rock Preschool podcast where we left off. So enjoy this episode. Here is our interview with Matt Miller, author of Ditch That Textbook. Hey, Matt, it's great to have you with us. I am super excited for our audience to hear all the cool things that you are doing in the classroom and outside of the classroom as well. And I really love the brand that you've created with Ditch That Textbook. And what's so special to me is, one, the fact that you've provided so many amazing resources and ideas on how to bring this technology into the classroom, but also the fact that you've inspired so many teachers to realize that they can actually ditch that textbook, which can be Mm kind of scary. So Mm -hmm. could you tell us a little about yourself and a little about what ditch that textbook means and what inspired you to ditch that textbook? Yeah. Hey, Jared, appreciate you having me on the show. And yeah, so the, the whole ditch that textbook thing is kind of came from my own journey in teaching. So um, in my career as a high school Spanish teacher, I got about three or four years into my teaching career. And I started to have this horrible realization that these kids in my high school Spanish classes couldn't speak Spanish, which, you know, is kind of a, an easy, obvious thing that you, you should have picked up earlier, but I didn't. And as I started to really look into it, I realized that my textbooks were becoming almost more of an obstacle to their fluency in Spanish than uh, a help. Um, I kept finding myself having to re-explain things that the textbook explained in an unclear way. Um, Their activities were kind of forced, and the kids hated doing the workbook pages and the worksheets. And so 
It was kind of like um, drudgery, I suppose. And just sort of little by little, I started to realize that some of the things that I could cook up on my own uh, were actually more uh, effective. And so instead of using the prescribed vocabulary lists in the book, well, we we kind of started picking out our our own vocabulary. Um, there'd be some of it that I would that I would pick, but then I'd let the kids pick some of it. Um, you know, we started creating things through, um, you know, tools like Google apps, but also, you know, even just with our own hands and paper and pencil and everything. Um, and that started to help things to stick. We started doing more storytelling. There was, you know, a variety of different technology components. And the more I got into this, the more I started to realize that, you know, we really do have a lot of control over our curriculum and the things that we do in the classroom. And if we'll just allow ourselves to be ourselves and to try things, whether we know that they'll uh, work or not, then we can have some really great success. We can be more of ourselves as teachers and kids end up benefiting in the end. So that that's kind of like the, the whole evolution in a nutshell, I think. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I found myself, I was just nodding my head along to everything you were just saying. And I think it's really important for teachers to bring themselves and bring their own interests and their own personalities and their own styles into the classroom. And sometimes the textbook doesn't really allow you to do that. And when teachers teach from a place mm -hmm. that they're comfortable with, then that enthusiasm and that excitement that gets transferred onto the kids. And oftentimes that can be the biggest driver of learning is that feeling behind learning and not just mm -hmm. the, you know, you could be great at teaching the content, but if you can't get the kids excited and motivated and happy to be there, then it can be really tough. So I guess on that note, like how has ditching the textbook allowed students' passions and their own ideas to drive the direction of learning in the classroom? And I know you just touched upon this with the vocabulary, mm -hmm. but I'm wondering if you could get into it a little bit more. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and honestly, this is something that I've found is a pretty uncomfortable thing for most teachers, and it always has been for me the idea of turning some control over to students. Because if you look back at teaching through all of history, it's been a lot of teacher in front of the room, directing instruction, making all of the plans, and the kids just kind of do whatever the teacher imposes on them. And to start to turn things over, I think with us as teachers, our immediate thought is, how can kids abuse this? And how am I going to thwart their attempts to hijack my lesson? You know, but this and, and it's it's sad that that's where our brains go. But I mean, it's it's a, a very natural thing because all of us as teachers have been bitten by some sort of abuse by by kids. And so that's just kind of like where our brains go a lot of times. But I think that we need to go onto the opposite side. You know, it's kind of like that. Um, that 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 short poem that's that talks about what if I fall and then it says oh but dear what if you fly you know what about the fly side of this what if we do this and you've got kids that will actually take control and make smart choices and make good choices and will learn from them and their education becomes so much greater because of that because we've given them a little bit of of choice and sometimes I even like to think of this as if we look at when if we look at class when we impose lots of things on kids are we getting 100% engagement from kids no we're not i mean that's that's just the the reality um, but if we switch this over to a more student led environment where we're giving them some choices and 
in that case, we're still not probably going to get 100% engagement because some kids are going to abuse that freedom that we've given them. But I think that the net gain by giving kids more autonomy over their, their education is always great. And some of the ways that we've done that, um, you know, sometimes I'll just, I'll just survey my students and say, Hey, here's what we're doing for this, um, chapter. Do you have any ideas? Do you have any suggestions of what we could do? And sometimes people will look at that and they'll go, yeah, but we don't always get great suggestions from the kids and that's okay but they may surprise you and you got to give them the chance to surprise you I think so I think it's even like little things too like we're getting ready to discuss something do you want to discuss this face to face with one partner do you want to be in small groups or do you want to write it in like a discussion board or a little comment forum online or um, do you want to jot your ideas down and trade papers with people I mean just giving kids even little things like that help them to own their own learning instead of having it imposed on them. And I think that's something that schools really, really uh, strive for is to, to have kids become those lifelong learners where they own their learning. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And something that you just said really stuck out to me when you said you've got to give them the chance to surprise you. And yeah. I mean, even in, I know when we talked before the, before coming on the podcast that you said, you know, I don't really have any background in early childhood, but I think that that's something that translates all the way through, no matter yeah. what age it is, if you give kids the chance to surprise you, if you challenge them and you give them those opportunities to drive their own learning, they will surprise you. Not all the time, but a lot of the times they will show you something that you really didn't, one, you didn't think of yourself, and two, that you weren't expecting because obviously you didn't think of it yourself. So I think that that's a really powerful message that can be applied throughout any age group that you're teaching. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, to, to kind of follow up on that, even with my own kids, I've got three children of my own. And as they've gone through the, you know, the preschool years and the kindergarten years and everything, I think sometimes we have sort of an expectation of what we think they should be able to do, but you don't really know until you let kids of that age give it a shot. And they may even surprise you with how fast they pick something up too. So I think that we we can't we can't just assume. I think we've got to give kids a, a shot, kind of like what you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my my last year teaching pre-K, the kids were, I was teaching them how to read and I just kept adding new things at the end. And we were mm -hmm. just starting off with decoding and doing CVC words. And then eventually they were doing that really well. So we started bringing in silent E and then we started bringing in like bossy R and we started bringing in all the diphthongs and all the digraphs. And we got wow. to a point where the kids go, okay, Mr. G, what's next? And I'm like, Guys, there's nothing, there's nothing left, know. you know, like yeah. you did silent E, you did all this other stuff, like you're doing chunks, you're doing all these different things. Like the only thing that's left is fluency mm -hmm. and we're not doing fluency in pre-K because um, I don't want you yeah. timing yourselves as to how fast you can read. Just yeah. do your best. But it's like they will surprise you and they will do things if, if you give them the chance and don't just say, oh, you know, pre-K they learn circle, square and triangle like. I teach them yeah. rhombus. I teach them parallelogram. We learn 3D shapes because it's all the same concept. And kids don't, they don't have the concept in their head. They don't have the idea in their head that like, oh, this is a third grade standard or a fourth grade standard. So I'm not going to learn it in pre-K. They just think this is normal for pre-K. And it really works yeah. all the way up. Like if you don't tell kids that, oh, this is something that you're supposed to learn in three years from now and you just teach it to them, they assume mm -hmm. that they're supposed to learn it right now and they always rise to the occasion. So I think that that's a really powerful idea about letting, letting the kids give them the chance to surprise you. 
Yeah, kids kids love a good challenge, don't they? They I mean, sure you can do. See it when you know when little ones or big ones when they play video games, if you if you have a kid bring a new video game home and they beat it on their first try, they're gonna want their money back, you know, because right. they're they are all about a good challenge. But it's got to be interesting to them, and it's got to be on their level. And yeah, yeah, you've, we've got to we've got to give them those challenges. I agree with you. Absolutely. So I guess I'm curious as to what have been some of those the biggest wins of your teaching career that could only come about because you were open to this really innovative style. Ah, uh, so one of my favorite examples is I've got a couple of them. Probably, <laughs> I'll I'll have to I'll have to not go, not go too overboard here, but go overboard, um, man. That's fine by me. (laughs) Well, one of them that I I think of immediately is, um, a time when I started implementing genius hour in my class. And I love the idea of genius hour, you know, from the top to the bottom, the bigs to the littles, because it really is all about kids' passions and what is it that they would, they're so innately uniquely interested in that they would pursue it on their own. And can we give kids time to work on that in class and still tie it back to the standards? And so for me, in a high school Spanish class, I basically told told the kids, I said, it's got to be in Spanish. You've got to have, you know, a certain set of curricula or sorry, a certain set of vocabulary and grammar. And if your projects incorporate all of that, then go nuts and pick the topic and do it the way you want. And we came up with some really cool stuff. I know um, one of my favorite ones was a student who loved playing guitar, and he created a YouTube channel where he made YouTube guitar tutorials, and he had to learn all the vocabulary for the guitar, and you know he learned how to create YouTube videos and to run a channel and everything. And you know that's one of those things where that's useful vocabulary to him because of his interests, it's something he's, he's innately interested in, and he wouldn't have gotten it from our regular study. And again, that goes back to that idea of choice. You know, <laughs> We keep coming back to this full circle about how um, we give kids the opportunity to pursue their passions and, and all of that within the confines and the structure of the, the class, of course, then um, sometimes they get things that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So that's definitely one. And I'd say that, you know, just by just by pursuing some of the joy and the fun, creating your own lessons and not just doing the standard textbook stuff, you know, out of that joy has come some of my most fun engagement with students um, within the the Spanish language. So within my, my content, um, um, you know, so, so just talking about these are the stars of the show or kids coming up to me later and saying that they would message each other in Spanish just because they could. <laughs> I think part of that is because their parents didn't know what they were talking about. But, um, you know, giving them giving them some of that that enjoyment of learning, that joy of learning that we we all have from, you know, from the beginning of our lives and trying to find ways to bring that back into the classroom has has definitely brought some of my my favorite moments from from teaching. That's awesome. I had another question about how you can bring organically bring out kids' passions and how you can use technology to do that. But I think you just answered the question. So I love that idea of especially the <laughs> student using guitar, uh, doing guitar lessons and learning Spanish in it, because that really is totally self-driven learning. And 
They right? are going to get so much more. They're going to learn vocabulary words that would never, even if there was a lesson in the textbook on guitar and music, like they are going to find vocabulary words and they are going to find how to structure sentences and all these kinds of things in ways that even if there was a whole chapter in a textbook on it, that it wouldn't teach them because they're driving it themselves and mm -hmm. they know what they want to say. They just have to figure out how to say it. So I think that that's just a really powerful, awesome idea that, uh, that obviously can only come about because of the way that you're doing things. Um, so I guess from there, yeah, 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 thanks. Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm just, I'm really blown away by all the different ways that you've been able to utilize the technology. And I read something either on your, as a summary on the book on, on Amazon or, or from your website where it said technology is changing the mm -hmm. world and it's changing our schools and classrooms. Learning is only a Google search or YouTube video away. And I just, love that and i think it's right. so true and super exciting that you're giving <laughs> teachers this model on how to bring this tech into the class um mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of really great online resources that are really easy to use that that you provide in a lot of your resources online but what do you say to the teachers mm -hmm. who may not feel so tech savvy and may have some reservations on digitizing their classrooms sure yeah um well if they don't feel tech savvy and they feel really behind the curve, then they feel like everybody else. And to be totally 100% honest, I feel that way a lot of times too. And I, I mean, I've written a couple of books and I've, you know, maintain a blog where I'm talking about technology all the time, but that doesn't mean that I know everything. And I think sometimes people expect that tech savvy folks know everything there is to know about everything related to tech. But the truth is, is that a lot of times we just find the the tools and resources that we need. And it doesn't mean that we have to know it all. So if if you're in the classroom teaching and if you've got a grasp on a handful of things that really move the needle for your students and learning, you know, if it takes it, if it kicks learning up a notch or up a couple of notches, then I would I would argue that you are a tech tech savvy teacher, that you've found some ways that that technology can amplify the learning that's already going on in class. So I think that's that's one of the barriers. And then the other one is to try to find ways that the tech you can use the technology to transform what you do. Because so often the tendency is to look at what we've done before and think, how can I do a digital version of that? And that's just, I mean, that's just basic substitution. We're substituting the digital lesson for the analog lesson. And if we do that, I mean, think about it. If we do that, we're reducing our technology down to just an expensive pencil. It's like, what could we do with the pencil before? And now what can we do with the digital pencil that's more expensive? So we have to look at our devices and the things that our devices can do and the things that the apps can do. And then we have to look at our lessons and think, what do we really want kids to be able to come away from this with and go, how can the technology, how can the superpowers of the technology amplify this lesson? And a lot of times that means that we've got to go back down to the groundwork, you know, like the foundation of that lesson and figure out what are the, the sheer basics that we need and then rebuild the lesson from scratch and that's hard work. And a lot of times people don't want to put in all of that extra work. But when you come away with, with it in the end and you see that the technology really has taken the level of learning to a whole nother level, then all of a sudden you're hooked and you want to go and, and do more of it, I think. Yeah, I definitely, that was definitely always my experience using technology. Mm -hmm. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so another thing along the same lines is that I noticed on your website that there's a lot of really cool benefits outside of just the digitized curricula that come right. along with it, such as you know keeping parents updated um, through mm-hmm. a blog or through any other type of means, student collaboration, which you've already kind of touched upon, gamified learning. And I also saw something that I really didn't think of at all, but just making sub plans very, very easy for subs oh, yeah. to access. So I guess yeah. how has ditching the textbook made things easier for you as a teacher in that regard, in regards with paperwork and, and just the administrative stuff that you have to take care of that you can basically put it all into the one process that you're doing yeah. for the students. And it just can also then be translated to parents, to administrators, to sub- substitutes, all these kinds of things. I thought that was really mm-hmm. interesting. So I was hoping you could elaborate yeah. on that a little more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's a there's lots of ways, I think. One of the first ones for me is that a lot of my work lives in the cloud now because I'm I'm pretty well bought in on using Google. And my Google Drive is where all of my documents and a lot of my stuff live. And so between Drive and my Gmail, pretty much everything that I do is searchable these days. So I don't have to go rifling through filing cabinets trying to find a paper or, you know, <laughs> I've, I've written down things on sticky notes before and stuck them on my monitor at, at school and then come home and wish that I'd brought that sticky note home. <laughs> the struggle is real, right? Right. Like everybody's done that at some point. And um, now all of that stuff is on the web and it's searchable and it's basically at my fingertips. So I've got that. We've got so much better, like you said, so much better potential for communication with parents because if you use an app like Remind that lets you push out uh, messages to your your parents or your students or both, um, you know, we're, we're basically putting that message right in the pocket of parents on a device that they carry around with them a lot of times all day. And we don't have to worry about did that paper that went home in the kid's backpack actually make it home to the parents. And surprise, surprise, it didn't <laughs> because it never does. <laughs> but if if we have that that new channel of communication, now we can communicate with parents. And then the other thing it lets us do too with parents is that we now have, we can now give them a window into the classroom. And I know especially in early childhood, those parents are craving whatever information they can about what's going on in the classroom. Um, Sadly, that's one of those things that starts to wane as they get closer and closer to my grades. But um, what you can do is use something like Remind or like a class Facebook page or an Instagram account um, where kids are, where you're able to kind of like take pictures of what kids are doing. Um, Even if you made it a private Facebook page where only the parents could join, then that way they're the only ones who are going to see the pictures. And once they know what's going on in the classroom, they can take that home and they can reinforce it at home. Because what parent doesn't want a good answer to the question of what did you do at school today? Because a lot of times the kids come home and, you know, thankfully the younger ones are a little more descriptive about it, but still they don't, you don't always get the full picture. And this is one way to help do that and continue to boost that learning while the kids are at home just because the parents are informed. So I think, you know, there's, there's tons of ways where, you know, just in the day to day in the management of your teacher life, that that technology can help. For sure. I did pretty much all those things that you just mentioned with uh, the Facebook group and the Instagram and all those types uh-huh. of ways to keep in contact with the parents. And I had the exact same benefits that, that you just mentioned. So my audience is pretty familiar with, uh, with that whole train of thought. So it's good to hear sure. you know, somebody else 
have a, those same ideas uh, and get there independently. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess this is another thing that my audience is always having questions about is mm -hmm. how have administrators reacted to uh, your really innovative approach to teaching? And are you still following the general outline of a school curricula? Are you totally allowing the direction of the lessons to kind of go where they will? And yeah, just how do administrators react? Did it take them a while to, to get on board? And then once they saw the results or does it, is it always a, uh, a bit of a explanation required? So I'm curious to hear what, what your situation <laughs> is like. Yeah. So, um, I, I came from a very unique situation, um, but I think there, there are lessons to take away from it. Um, so for me, I was the entire world languages department at my high school. Like I was the one teacher that taught any world languages. So I didn't have any teachers that were above me or below me in, uh, content levels or anything. So I kind of had free reign to some extent. And I was also sort of blessed and cursed with um, administrators at that time who didn't really know what was going on in their school. <laughs> so um, so I just kind of started experimenting with things and weaned myself off of my textbook little by little by little by little. And the thing that I think, no matter if you're um, you know, a kindergarten teacher in a school with five other fellow kindergarten teachers, or if you're in a preschool where you're kind of like run the show yourself or whatever, um, if you've got a curriculum to follow, and if you've got for us, you know, we have content standards to follow, um, those are that's kind of like the framework and the structure that you have to operate within. Um, I love the the saying that creativity create craves constraints. People mm -hmm. think of creativity as like this go wherever, do whatever, think outside the box. Well, reality in life is that the box exists and you have to live within the box. But how do you make the most of that space within the box? And so that's how I thought about my my whole process to ditching my textbooks and doing things differently is that I still have to stay within my content standards and within the, the curriculum that's prescribed to me, but I have a lot of flexibility in how I get there. So, you know, I think just, just remembering that we're not tied down to that so specifically, um, I think that's, that's one, of the, one of the big keys. Yep, couldn't have said it better myself, totally agree. And I'm actually really into like storytelling and things like that, and that reminds oh, me of, nice. of what you just said about how there is a box and like if you just say write a creative story it's a lot harder than when you give somebody constraints and say write a yeah. western that takes place in this time period that's you know has these kinds of characters then real creativity comes out because you get all these different ideas as to how that story plays out while if you just yeah. say write me a story then people kind of rely on tropes that they're familiar with and things become a little predictable but if you give them constraints, then that really does bring out a lot of creativity yeah. and a lot of ways to think, okay, how can I take these constraints and make it different than what is expected of me? Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, Jared, you, you asked me another question that I just now realized I didn't, I didn't answer and I'll try to do it quickly. And you asked about with the, you know, the administration or the leadership in your school, how do you, how do you deal with that? Right. And, you know, for me, um, I've found that it's hard to argue with results. And so I, I've found that starting small with some of these changes, instead of totally throwing your textbooks 
out the window into the dumpster three stories below you, um, you know, in one fell. So by the way, if you do that, get it on video because I would love to see it. But, um, you know, that's that's probably not the best way to win everybody over to your way of thinking. Uh, but if you do it a little bit at a time and you start to see some success and then you build on that success based on what you saw and you, you know, maybe take another risk that has that ends up panning out and going well. And once you start to build that success little by little, and you can prove your track record of success as you build slowly toward what you'd like to do, then when someone has questions or if someone wants you to go a different route, you say, Hey, look, we've been doing really well with this. Here's how I can tell. Here's why this is better. And once they see those results, results are kind of like this universal language that all of your school leadership and a lot of your parents seem to understand. So if you can build those little steps, I think that's another huge, uh, a huge push in the direction of, of going this way. Definitely. That is 100% a huge thing. And then kind of just piggybacking off that last line that you said, where parents too, if parents are involved and parents see results, they can become very strong advocates for what you're doing in the classroom if the administration isn't 100% mm -hmm. sure of what's happening. If parents see results and parents are saying, look how much my kid is learning, that can then turn into you know, just another data point as to, uh, as to the great results that you're achieving in your classroom. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess we'll begin to wrap things up. If you had one major takeaway, I mean, you've given a lot of great information so far. Um, but I guess I just want to wrap it up, not on, you know, not mm -hmm. on an administrative note, but more on like a positive, uh, yeah, sure. not that that wasn't positive, but just a more <laughs> overarching, uh, thematic note. What would be the major takeaway about why to ditch that textbook? What are the results that you're going to see? You know, maybe even just the, the type of joy that, that teachers will have coming into school, knowing that they have that extra bit of freedom. So yeah, you take it away yeah. from here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I think when you do this, the the big thing I keep coming back to is that I, I felt like I was my own unique, true self as a teacher when I started doing this more. And I know a lot of times whenever you start to branch out in the unknown like this, um, you know, sometimes people want to shrink back into safe teaching mode where they've done the same things over and over again. It's what makes them feel comfortable. But I've come to find that this whole idea of safe teaching is actually risky teaching when you look at it, because a lot of what makes us feel safe and comfortable as teachers is not good for learning for kids. And so instead of shrinking back into safe teaching mode, I think what we really need are those maverick teachers, you know, the ones that are willing to buck the status quo, um, you know, the ones that are willing to be the black sheep and to try something out because that kind of teaching is really hard to turn off. And I think that whenever we allow ourselves to get outside of the standard traditional old day to day, and we start to break out and try different things, then we really become that. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of teaching that I want to do. 100% couldn't agree with that more. So that was a perfect way to, to close this out. So thank you so much, Matt. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I think the audience is going to enjoy it tremendously. And it was just really awesome. So I really, really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to come on the podcast and just share all of your great ideas and experiences with us. So um, yeah. do you want to tell our audience where they can find you on social media and how they can buy your book and any other, any other plugs that you'd like to throw out there? Oh yeah, of course. Um, 
books called uh, Ditch That Textbook and Ditch That Homework are available on Amazon. Um, you can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is jmattmiller. That's the letter J, Matt with two T, Miller. And then if you go to my website, ditchthattextbook.com, you'll actually find a free ebook there called 101 Practical Ways to Ditch That Textbook that has it's just tons of the practical ideas that, that my readers have come to expect. So if you want to get kind of a big lump sum of those all in one shot, then feel free to go check out that, that free ebook. And I can also vouch for that free ebook. It is awesome. I read over it earlier this week and gave me a lot of the ideas for these questions. And there were a lot of other questions that I just kind of, well, really, I just wanted to, to toot your own horn and just be like, this is awesome. What a great <laughs> idea. I can't wait to you know, see how this works. I wish I was still teaching yeah. so I could try this. So yeah, really great right. ideas in, in that free ebook. And uh, it's something that, that I would pay money for if it wasn't free, but Matt's nice enough to provide it for free for all y'all. Yeah. So. yeah, definitely. So thank you so much, Matt. I really had a great time talking to you and uh, this was a really awesome conversation. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Jared. Well, that was a great interview. I hope y'all learned as much as I did, and I hope y'all have a lot of great strategies to take with you into your classroom and to help yourselves ditch that textbook. Now, you can find Matt exactly where he said that you can find him, and you can look in the show notes. I will leave links to his books, to his website. That freebie is awesome. Highly recommend it. There are great, great resources in there, not just for older kids, but also for early childhood. So please Take the time to check that out, to support Matt. I really appreciate him coming on the podcast, and I hope you did too. So thank you for listening, and I hope that everyone is one step closer to making the classroom of your dreams come true. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast too, because we are back. So get excited because we have another great interview, actually plenty of great interviews coming up for the next couple weeks. So please subscribe to the podcast and to our email list. And until next time, keep rocking.